Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Hey everyone, in this episode, we are going to cover the basic principles of the role that our state government plays in governing our profession. And we work really hard in school, as you know, to develop the skills of a clinician, to study and learn all the aspects of dental theory, and to develop an understanding of all aspects of what it takes to be a healthcare provider. It's really important for you as a dental hygienist to understand the scope of practice that is dictated by the state dental practice acts. Now keep in mind as a clinician that government regulations are intended to protect the public by minimizing the risk of poor health outcomes. It makes sense that as a profession, we are required to be licensed to practice dental hygiene. Therefore, we are also responsible to understand the Dental Practice Acts and to have a really clear understanding of what procedures are allowed under direct, indirect, and general supervision, right? These are the, it's, in, it's the responsibility of the dental provider to know the rules. And based on how hard you work to become licensed, It's even more important to have a good understanding of actions that could cause things like a suspension, a restriction, or worse yet, a revocation of your license. The basic overview includes that state statutory laws, which keep in mind are governed by the executive branch of government, regulates our licensure requirements, our examination requirements, what we need for education, our eligibility, also our scope of practice, as well as the continuing ed and supervision requirements. It's important as a dental hygienist to really have a good understanding of all the different regulations that are required of us. In this episode, I'm going to ask you fact and fiction type questions, just to give you a little taste of what your licensing exam will be like, just to be sure that you not only know what rules and laws there are, but where to find out whether something is fact or fiction. I don't expect you to memorize all of the laws and rules. The idea is to get you familiar with them and to learn how to reference them as needed. I'm going to put a link in this episode to the DEN 100 through DEN 500 rules, which are the five chapters of all of the dental state practice acts in the state of New Hampshire. This will help you figure out how to find information to determine if something is fact or fiction. Think about it this way. The state dental practice acts specifically control the practice of dental hygienists and other agencies. They provide regulations, but it's specifically controlled by our Dental Practice Act. So you are going to spend a lot of time getting to know those five chapters with all the laws and rules, getting familiar with them enough so that you are successful on your jurisprudence exam. In our state, the dental board is appointed by the governor, and we also have a subcommittee of our dental board, the Dental Hygiene Committee. 
there are varying degrees of regulation in how state practice acts are enacted and enforced. There are three branches of government. You have the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. And you should have a pretty broad understanding of each one of those does. The legislative branch enacts the laws, and the executive branch implements and enforces the laws. The judicial branch has the final say regarding the rights and responsibilities of those that are subject to the law. Now, sometimes we have to make changes to the Dental Practice Act, and that is made by the legislation. Think about the process. There's a bill that is introduced, and it goes through a rigorous process, and then a rule change occurs. This might be simple language that has changed. An example would be a change in a word or two within the Dental Practice Act to create new meaning of a specific rule. No matter what the change is, whenever you make any change to the Dental Practice Act, it has to go through that process. The Practice Act also dictates the specific requirements that you need to have in order to obtain a license, as well as specific continuing education that has to occur during your biennium in order to maintain your license. We have these provisions in place, and you'll learn about each and every one of them. We have license requirements, examination requirements, the minimum passing rates, eligibility requirements. You can also obtain a license by endorsements, which is a little separate category. There's approval of the education programs, examination, and also disciplinary authority. The Practice Act, in addition, dictates the supervision as well as your continuing education requirements. Now, sometimes you can get a license by endorsement, as I said, and this could occur as an example if you've been a practicing hygienist in one state and you move to another state. Now, keep in mind, the license requirements in that state may be a little different, and we are working towards a national requirement, but we're not quite there yet. So you have to then become familiar with the laws and rules dictated in the state that you're moving to. And some states do allow a license by endorsement. So that means that there are some states that will recognize your licensure and will provide you with a license once they review your credentials, your education, and your experience. The other provisions cover the categories of full temporary volunteer faculty and then inactive versus active licenses. So all of the different roles and levels of use of your license carry provisions with them. Our state dental practice acts tell us what we can do under our scope of dental hygiene practice, what the functions of the dental hygienist can perform, and that includes our educational assessment, our preventive, and our clinical services that we are trained to do. There are some things that are omitted. Even though we are educationally qualified, we have to follow the laws and rules, things like the limitations of specific prescribing drugs. We are in some states allowed to administer fluoride or chlorhexidine, cutting or removal of hard or soft tissues, and then diagnosing for dental procedures, including any dental procedure. And this is a really tough area for us because we have so much knowledge and skills in the area of our dental hygiene component, but we are still not allowed to diagnose even procedures that we're allowed to perform successfully within our operatory. So you have to be really mindful of what the scope of practice is and what the laws allow. I don't want you to get hung up on this, but depending on which state you're practicing in, be sure that you know what you are allowed to do 
and what you are not allowed to do and what supervision you are mandated to have. Let's talk about the different definitions of supervision. In general supervision, the doctor authorizes the treatment, but is not physically present in the building or the office and doesn't necessarily check the treatment once it's been rendered. That is general supervision. Direct supervision is the polar opposite of general supervision. Under direct supervision, the doctor authorizes the treatment, they are present and involved while the treatment is being executed. They approve the work and they review it after its completion before the patient leaves the office. Now there's some gray areas in between general and direct. So indirect supervision is somewhere in between those two extremes. The doctor authorizes the treatment and is present in the building, but doesn't necessarily review the treatment after it's been completed. And then you have a different umbrella in public health settings. You actually have a contractual agreement with a supervising dentist. So all the treatment that a public health hygienist does is done under general supervision where the doctor is not anywhere on the premises, they are not physically present, and they don't necessarily check the work or take part in anything except reviewing the records and providing treatment plans and reviewing the treatment that has been rendered. And this definitely varies by state. Levels of supervision is definitely something you are going to need to know in order to pass your jurisprudence exam, no matter which state that you live in. And there are factors that affect the level of supervision. It could be your location or whether you're located in the United States. Different states have different rules for what services are provided, what level of supervision, and also the setting that you're in. So if you are in a school-based dental program, just as an example, it's going to be different to provide services there versus if you are in a private practice. So if you go to place a sealant in a school-based program, it's going to be a different protocol and the rules are going to be different versus if you are in a private practice setting, treatment planning for a sealant. Different kinds of services have different level of supervision, and this varies by state as well. There are things that affect the level of supervision that you have to be aware of. And as you're going through the rules of each of the five chapters of the Dental Practice Act, pay attention to that because that is really going to help you make clear understanding of what type of supervision you are required to have in order to perform some of the services that you perform with your patients. There are some factors that affect the level of supervision that one has. Think about your geographic location, the setting that you're in, the circumstances around the setting that you're in, the kind of services that you are providing your patients, and the types of patients that you are working with. In our state, we have a certified public health hygienist, and so the circumstances and the geographic location would be different for some certified public health hygienists. Although they do work in a dental office at times, sometimes they're outside the brick and mortar building. So that will affect the level of supervision that those particular services are provided in. There are some other dental hygiene regulated issues that you wanna think about. We are mandated reporters for child abuse. We are required to have OSHA training we have to obtain informed consent, provide patients with their rights. We are a HIPAA compliant profession 
and we have public health reporting that we are mandated to do. We're also mandated to have CPR certification and have to have that renewed every two years. There are some grounds for suspension and revocation of our license, so you want to be sure that you are very aware of ways that you could lose this very hard-earned license. Any kind of unprofessional conduct, a violation of the specific dental rules and regulations, if you are deemed clinically incompetent, have some kind of medical impairment that would clog your judgment or make it impossible for you to provide the services that you're licensed to do, or if you end up with a criminal offense that would deem it unsafe for you to treat the public. It is important to also know that there is due process, so provisions include notice and opportunity for you to be heard, and there has to be evidence for grounds for suspension or revocation of your license. You should be familiar with the State Practice Acts, and you can get more familiar with those at www.adha.org or www.ada.org, and I would advise you to read the DEN 100 through DEN 500 rules. You will have the jurisprudence exam in order to obtain your initial licensure, so you'll want to be very familiar with all of them. Now, there is some level of interpretation the Dental Board of Examiners expects that you know and understand the laws and rules, that you engage with the public in a way that identifies that you understand and have implemented those rules. It's important for you to know and understand the rules and have a, an interpretation of the rules that puts the patient and the public at the center so that the safety of the patient is always followed by your actions. One other thing I will say is, other than know your dental practice acts, is to understand your scope of practice. And this is also why I covered soap notes before I published this episode. The patient's record is the witness with an accurate memory. If you were to forget everything you ever knew about each and every one of your patients, but you remembered everything you know about how to practice dental hygiene, you will be able to quickly read a chart and know what the patient has and why and perform whatever treatment is next for that individual and also know why it is necessary. Now, there are some strategies to control any kind of actions ever coming against you. Deliver high quality care that meets or exceeds the standards of care. Keep the lines of communication open with your patients thorough and appropriate documentation of all the care that you provide. Continually update your knowledge base as a dental hygienist. These are the strategies to control any actions ever coming against you. If you are always delivering the highest quality of care that exceeds the standard of care, and you keep the lines of communication open and document, document, document all of your findings and everything that you do for services, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And if an action ever comes against you, you have all of your documentation that you need to defend your actions because you're providing quality care to the patients that you serve. And that's what your license stands for. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. 
Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.